You know, despite what is going on in our country right now, I am unabashedly proud to call myself an American. I am unashamed of it. Happy birthday, America, 244 years. There exists a threat from anti-hunting groups to politicians trying to give our land away, and we won't stand for it. Those vast western landscapes provide the space for our wildlife to thrive and a place for hunters and anglers to fuel the fire that sparks their soul. In this show, we share our love of hunting, fishing, and conservation. Here, we provide the foundation to meet these threats through passion and the grit of the American outdoorsman. Welcome to the Western Huntsman Podcast. Welcome back, guys. Welcome to the Western Huntsman Podcast. This is Jim Huntsman coming at you from Hayden, Idaho, in the lonely Broken Tine studio here. Uh, this is the week of 4th of July, and um, this is going to be kind of a quick episode, guys, because I am actually, uh, once I release this, I am going to be blissfully out of phone service uh, for, for the rest of the week. So um, I'm, I'm just kind of throwing this one together uh, as a recognition to our country and our, our the birthday of our nation and I don't give a damn about how many people are upset and hate our country right now I'm still proud of it and I I hope you are too I'm and we're going to talk a little bit about that in this episode uh, the Western Husband podcast is brought to you by Scree Extreme Mountain Gear use the promo code the Western Huntsman for 15% off and free shipping and also we are brought to you by Phelps Game Calls Get them close. Use promo code Huntsman10 uh, for 10% off when you check out at Phelps.com. By the way, guys, we've only got, so for you September hunters, we've only got two months left uh, coming up to September. And so you want to start getting this gear now. Go Jump on screen. Go to Phelps.com. Start getting what happened to me last year is, in fact, I was uh, in a bind. I had left my backup reads uh, at home. And so I needed to swing into a store and try to grab some some other reeds while I was out, and they were completely sold out of the reeds that I normally use, and ended up having to use a perpetrator for uh, for a couple of days there until I was able to get home and replenish my reed source. So uh, start building those up now because they 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 become hard to come by uh, as soon as hunting season starts. And for you rifle hunters, you know we're only three months out. Seems like forever away because we've got all summer, but it's going to be here before you know it. So. So yeah, guys, if uh, you know, and supporting our sponsors is is supporting the show. So I, I appreciate it if you jump on there and uh, if you're in the market for that stuff, definitely use our promo code. I appreciate it. So um, yeah, happy to- 244 years of America, and despite the faults that America has had, uh, and not talking about recent events, because I'm not holding America as a country accountable for the recent events that have maybe shamed certain aspects of our country. I'm still proud of our country. I'm still proud to be an American. I'm I'm pretty much, I, I believe I'm past the cutoff point age-wise, but I would still put my uniform on and serve my country if my country asked me to. That's how proud I am. And, and I want it to be known that on this show, we are pro-American. And I, I'm, you know, all this stuff in the news and, and these looters and these rioters that are just, causing all this devastation to our country 
I, I'm I'm so fed up with it. I'm I'm super happy to be being going out of of phone service and away from the news and all this kind of stuff for a few days and and just not having to deal with it because I'm I'm so freaking tired of it. It's it's sick, man. I mean, it is sick. Like these people, they don't understand what America has done, both for our own country and in terms of on the world stage, what what America has brought to the table. The entire world sees freedom as a human right now. Compare that to 200 years ago. Today, a totalitarianism government or regime uh, or a dictatorship has, has been reduced to only like a few rogue countries, and they're not competitors on the world stage. All of the competing world stage co- countries, they, they just see everything differently now. Freedom has provided everything that we enjoy as a comfort in life. And so these, these little dipshits that go into Starbucks in their name brand jeans and their hipster sunglasses, and they've got their smartphone and their Apple computer, and they order a Starbucks $10 coffee and sit down and start bitching about capitalism, it's the most wild hypocrisy the world has ever seen. Because none of that would exist without our capitalistic and free society. It's a great system. It has provided the largest and widest spread of quality of life for human beings than any other nation in the history of the world. That's what our society, a free society does. So America may have some faults. America may have some black eyes in her past. But show me a country that doesn't. Show me a country that doesn't. We have provided freedom for many other parts of the world. Because of America, we defeated Nazi Germany. We have baseball. We have Johnny Cash. We have television. America has provided great personalities. We've, we've got in our past, let's, let, me, let me name a few. We've got Albert Einstein. We've got Louis Armstrong, Dolly Parton, Frederick Douglass, Elvis, Elon Musk, Stonewall Jackson, John Glenn, Chesty Poehler, Martin Luther King, Abraham Lincoln, Teddy Roosevelt, and dare I say, Ron Burgundy. Because of America, we travel on airplanes. Because of America, we can go hunting. When, whenever we want, we, we, as, if it's in season, as Americans, we have the option to go hunting. This isn't Europe. This isn't like we have to have some designation from the government to be a hunter. And, and we, we don't have to be royalty and to own the rights to the game. We don't have to get permission because we have public land access. Access all over the American West. We defeated ISIS. We defeated Al-Qaeda. We provided the world with things like Metallica and George Strait. We have pickup trucks. We have NASCAR. I'm not even a big NASCAR fan, but you know what's cool about NASCAR? Is the story of how it basically developed out of. And, And if you don't know the story, you should look it up. Because for those... for You guys know. You guys already know. During the 20s... In, in the United States of America, alcohol was essentially banned. It was called prohibition. And so you would have all these uh, moonshiners and, and these these companies or, or underground uh, organizations that would would make 
illegal whiskeys and moonshine and all sorts of liquors. It wasn't just one thing or two things or anything. And what would happen, how they would transport that, because it was illegal and it was it was a black market, they would take stock cars and soup up the motors so that the cops couldn't catch them. That's essentially how NASCAR was developed, because once prohibition uh, was, was terminated and, and alcohol was no longer illegal to have in the United States of America, they kind of liked having those souped-up stock cars, and it turned into uh, what is now modern-day NASCAR today. It's just a cool story. These things that are going on today in the news and this idea that one individual's actions, and I'm, I'm talking about the George Floyd situation that has kind of uh, triggered all these uh, you know, rioting and looting and all this lawlessness going on throughout throughout the entire nation. We're seeing it all over the place. That is not what we do in America. We do not take the actions of one man and blame an entire nation and paint the entire nation. Same thing with our police force. We don't take the actions of one policeman that did what he did at a, for, for whatever reason he did it for and paint the entire police force throughout the throughout the country all the all the different uh, factors and factions of, of our police whether it's a county or sheriff or a city cop or um, you know all the way up to the federal level we don't paint those guys with a broad brush see that's that's racism in itself that's the same as accusing an entire race of being evil because of the color of their skin because somebody wears a uniform that you're you're going to put them in the same bucket of bullshit as George Floyd? That's not what we do in America. We don't have royalty here. People are not born into leadership positions in our country. We don't have kings. This isn't a like a, a what do they call that? A aristocracy kind of situation where where people are just they're they're born into into the, these royalty type kind of families and they're just entitled to all these things because of the family they were born in. No, in America, the individual is what matters. That's why this country was founded. The individual is what matters. If your father is a felon and spent his life in prison and died of, of dishonor, that does not hold to you, the individual. Because you have the opportunity to create your own destiny in your own life. I'll give you a really good example. My wife is somehow very, and I, I used to know the story a lot better, but she's somehow distantly related to John Wilkes Booth. And I remember she, she was telling me about this. You know, John Wilkes Booth, uh, for, for those of you that don't know, is who assassinated Abraham Lincoln. Um, you know, I believe it was April 18th, 1865. It could have been the 16th. I can't remember exactly. In Ford Theater in Washington, D.C., just as uh, as uh, the Civil War was kind of winding down, he got assassinated. And my wife is related to the guy that did it, John Wilkes Booth, uh, somehow very distantly. Society does not judge her because of the actions of John Wilkes Booth, right? That's not. That's just not what we do. Here, the individual is what matters. That's why our system of government was set up as a republic. A lot of people call it a democracy. It's not. We're a republic. What that means is as a republic, the majority 
cannot overrule the minority. Meaning, if you buy a piece of land in Montana, there is not a majority of people that can come in and vote and create a law stating that people can just come and take your land. It's yours. It's personal property. The minority is actually what is protected in a republic. It's a very important distinction that a lot of people I don't think know. And then to to make matters worse, people, they're tearing down our historical statues. And they're, they're ruining things that are not applicable to the situation at hand. So it tells me that, A, they're stupid because they don't have just a basic general concept of American history. And, and B, they're doing it not out of a cause born out of the George Floyd situation. They're doing it as an opportunity to wreak havoc because that is the character that they're showing Is that the character, you looters and rioters, that you want presented for the rest of the world? That's how you want to be portrayed? That's not how I would want to be portrayed. And, you know, this is how stupid they are. So they tore down General Grant's statue. General Grant. It's disturbing to me that people don't understand who General Grant is. And the concept as to why a statue of this man would be put up somewhere, right? There's a concept behind that. Let me tell you guys a little story. Because th- th- this is the kind of stuff that you, you, people should know. People should know. And and not everybody's a big history buff like me. And I, and I admit it. I, I am. I'm a, I'm a huge history buff. And I think that it enlightens my thinking in terms of where and what track our country is on today. Because there's a lot of consistencies between what's going on now versus what was going on in the 1840s and the 1850s, that those, those two decades leading up to the American Civil War. I'd like to tell you a little story about that, actually, because I'll, I'll do this on a whim. I'll, do, I'll just do this on a whim for you. General Grant, the Civil War began in 1861. And a lot of people you'll hear talk about how uh, you know, the reality is, is the Civil War was not over slavery, blah, blah, blah. Well, it was. It absolutely was. If you were to take the uh, slavery component out of our history, the Civil War would have never happened. And and it wasn't like what people think, where it's like all the Northerners were like, let's free the slaves. And the South was like, let's no, let's not free the slaves and blah, blah, blah. That's not what it was. Really, the argument was, was kind of born out of the westward expansion of the United States because in the 1860s, um, like Vicksburg, Mississippi was considered the west, right? So we hadn't expanded. We didn't have states like Utah and Arizona and, and Idaho and Montana and Wyoming. All these, these were not states yet. Now, we did have Oregon and California, so the Civil War, really the argument where that, that really was the straw that broke the camel back, the camel's back uh, and, and began the Civil War was the argument of whether or not slavery should be allowed to be expanded into the new territories of the West. And then Abraham Lincoln, who was a known abolitionist to an extent, he wasn't really an abolitionist, but he was definitely anti-slavery and wanted to see it end got elected, and that really ticked the South off because they knew this. And in the South's defense, 
The South also knew that slavery as an institution was outdated, and it was not consistent with our founding principles in, in the United States Constitution. They knew this. The problem that they ran into on, on this particular issue is the fact that um, their entire economy was based on the slave trade. Now, when you break that down further, this does not mean that the southern soldiers were out there fighting so that rich people could keep their slaves because it was a very, very small percentage of the population that actually owned slaves in the south. Most of them didn't. In fact, most of the people uh, on the, within the southern armies during the Civil War that fought, um, I would say over 90% of them were not slave owners. Many of them kind of got bamboozled the way that governments and media does to think that the Civil War and they were fighting for their southern rights and it was kind of born out of, out of rights issues and this and that. that that's, not, that's not what it was. The rights issues all point back to slavery. So the Civil War was absolutely about slavery. But I don't want people to misunderstand or misinterpret perhaps what a lowly 20-year-old private in the you know, 15th Mississippi was fighting for. In his mind, he was not fighting so rich people can keep their slaves. So going back to this, the, the Civil War, it began in 1861, right? The, the big issue that Abraham Lincoln ran into as the war began uh, in the Eastern Theater, which is where the war was going to be won or lost. Uh, Eastern Theater meaning, uh, uh, you know, Maryland, Virginia, Tennessee, uh, Georgia, North Carolina, South Carolina, all those all those kind of eastern seaboard states. Obviously, Tennessee is not eastern seaboard, but uh, in fact, Tennessee was kind of considered the uh, the beginning of the western theater of the Civil War. So we're we're really talking about uh, Virginia. The Civil War was going to be won or lost in Virginia because Richmond became the capital of the Confederacy. Richmond, Virginia. That was the whole objective of Abraham Lincoln. Uh, his his strategy was essentially to capture Richmond. Okay, that that's really where a lot of these big battles uh, were, were kind of born out of in the Civil War. Well, the problem Lincoln had is he was having a hard time finding a commander that could beat the su- southern troops in the Eastern Theater. They didn't have that problem in the Western Theater. The 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 South really had a rough time in the West. Uh, didn't win a lot of battles out there, but that was not the case in the East. So the Confederacy promoted this guy named Robert E. Lee, General Lee who, by the way, was not a slave owner. And another little kind of helpful uh, piece of information for for anybody that doesn't know this, Arlington Cemetery was essentially Robert E. Lee and his wife, Mary Custis, that was essentially their front lawn. And to spite them, because you could see it across the river from Washington, D.C., you could see Arlington, but it was technically on the Virginia side. To spite them, after Mary Custis Lee evacuated, they started burying Union troops in their yard. And that's where um, the, the cemetery uh, kind of came out of it. That's uh, the, the history of Arlington National Cemetery, what, what it is now. So General Lee gets, takes command of the southern uh, forces. Uh, the, the, basically, he named it the Army of Northern Virginia, the, the, the Confederate main force. And this force ranged from the beginning of the war of 80,000 to 90,000 men, to, and it dwindled down to about 30,000 by the time he surrendered. Lee was a fantastic military commander. He was a brilliant strategist. He was great with things like logistics and, and moving troops. He was aggressive. He took risks, all these things, right? And so for, for the first two and a half years of the Civil War, 
General Lee was kicking the crap out of the Northern armies. And every time the Northern armies would get their butt whooped, they'd retreat back up to Washington, D.C. And uh, Abraham Lincoln would essentially fire that Union commander and replace him with somebody new. So this went on and on and on. I want to say that it was about five generals by the time Abraham Lincoln decided to give this guy named Ulysses Sam Grant, who had been winning battles out west, a chance at commanding the entirety of the United States Army with a focus on the eastern uh, theater, which would have been basically commanding what was called the Army of the Potomac, the main Union force fighting against Robert E. Lee. Okay, hopefully you guys are tracking because it's kind of a cool story. Every time prior to Grant taking charge, uh, he he would uh, elect a new or select a new uh, northern general, right? Okay, uh, we're going to put General Hooker in command or General McClellan, General Pope, General Burnside, General Meade, all these guys that, that were the replacement generals to try to go down and beat Lee finally. Somebody needed to finally beat Lee. They would they would show up into D.C., into this hotel, and they'd check in, and as as they, they just got promoted, they're the new general, they're going to be the new savior of the North, the new hero commander, right? And and the media would be uh, waiting for them as they, they showed up to the hotel. And there would be this big party, big, you know, grandstanding party where the new general could stand up on a chair with his drink and cigar and announce how he's he's going to go down and, and whoop old Bobby Lee down there in Virginia and going to end this war for him. And they're going to they're going to do all these things. And they would say grandiose things like, may God have mercy on General Lee, for I will not. And, th- and all this all this crazy stuff. Right. And there was always this big party. And then what would happen is they would take command of the army. They'd march down there and get their butts handed to him by Robert E. Lee and turn around, run back to Washington, D.C. And obviously, guys, this is super generalized stuff. Um, and so bear with me on this. So winter of 1864, we're going into the third year of the Civil War. Abraham Lincoln decides to promote General Grant to command the whole army. Instead of replacing the army uh, commander, the you know, you know General General Meade, the commander of the Northern troops of Army of the Potomac, mind you, um, instead of doing that, he just told Grant, "You're you're in charge of the entire army, and and I want you to focus on this uh, Robert E. Lee." As with every other commander before, uh, General Grant was to come to the hotel, check in, and essentially take charge the next day of the the army and and do do his thing. And so the media is there, just like every other general before. And every other general would show up with great fanfare, you know, all this fuss and feathers, all you know, all these all these military aides and and all these you know staff members and everybody'd get ready and it'd just be this big party. Well, this evening that he was supposed to arrive, this man is riding into Washington D.C. on his horse. He's covered in mud, hasn't shaven, his uniform is in disarray, doesn't even have his rank sewn onto his overcoat. It's cold, gets off his horse, covered in mud, all over his brogans, walks into this hotel, and the clerk says, can I help you? Kind of gives him a once-over, like, who the hell are you? You look like a mess. And the guy says, I've got a room uh, for General Grant. And the clerk kind of looks back at him, and he, he says, you're here on behalf of General Grant? And General Grant turns back to him and says, no, I am General Grant. And this clerk was quite surprised 
because there was no fanfare. There was no staff members. There was no aides. He didn't look like he just uh, had his uniform cleaned and, and, and looked shiny and, and fancy, this new toy for the North. Nope. Just this rugged old dude that had been kicking the crap out of the South in the Western Theater of the War shows up covered in mud and checks in. And the hotel clerk says, everybody's waiting for you in the kind of the, the bar area outside of the lobby. The media, other other military commanders, all these other people are there. General Grant kind of looks over there, looks back at the clerk and says, I'll just take my room key. And he goes to his room. The media was pissed. They were so upset that he didn't come in and make all these grandiose statements about how he's going to go beat up on General Lee. Abraham Lincoln the next morning offered him, you know, to, to join him for a theater show. And Grant politely declined and said, I want to get to the front. And he did. And just like every other northern commander before him, Grant marched his army into Virginia and got his butt kicked by Robert E. Lee, right? Battle of the Wilderness, this campaign in Virginia. It was a it was a huge fight too. And they called it the wilderness. All these all these trees caught fire from the cannons and, and musket fire and black powder weapons and all this stuff. And uh, the, the forest fire is actually what killed a lot of the troops that were wounded and couldn't get away from the fire. It's a terrible, terrible situation, just like unimaginable. But here's where the big difference came, is every time that happened before to all these other commanders, they would gather up their wounded army and ragtag everybody back together, and they'd skedaddle back to Washington, D.C., to the safety of the, the city. And, and this was a, you know, a full day, two day march back. And as they made their way and gathered themselves in Virginia and started heading back after Lee just whooped them again at the Battle of Wilderness, the wilderness. Here's where the big difference came. There's this intersection that the armies were used to seeing. Every time they'd go down there, these veterans, they'd been fighting in this war for two, three years. And they, they, there was this intersection, and you could turn left and head back to Washington, D.C., march up the road that way, or you could turn right, and it would take you further south. They were so used to turning left, it was just assumed that that's what they were doing. Well, General Grant told them to turn right. And as these troops realized that, and we're talking, we're talking 80,000 men, so this isn't like just a little group of people. Every time a unit would come up to this intersection and realized that they were turning right instead of running back to D.C., they erupted in cheers because these were men that wanted to win this war. These were men that were believed in the Union and the United States and wanted our country unified, didn't want the South to secede. They didn't want slavery to continue. And they had seen death like you wouldn't believe on a magnitude that would be unimaginable in today's society. And so when they turned right, every time that unit, these units would show up to these, this intersection and turn right and start heading south again instead of running back to D.C., they erupted in cheers and were re-inspired and motivated to go back. And, Gen and that's what General Grant did because General Grant realized something. He knew Lee was a great commander and, and that Lee had several other lower great commanders that were great generals, and his army was veteran armies that had been used to winning against the North up until this point in the war. But Grant knew something that a lot of these other commanders never realized. And that is 
every man that Grant lost and every bullet that was fired and every time a wagon train was unloaded with supplies, he could replace it. He knew General Lee could not. Every man that Lee lost, every bullet that Lee sent flying, could not be replaced. And so what he did is he started the spring campaign of 1864 where he just pounded Lee just back every time he would turn that army around and hit Lee again. And he'd get beat, and he'd turn around and hit Lee again. These were huge battles, too. We're talking Spotsylvania Courthouse. We're talking the Battle of Cold Harbor, where what happened there is it it is said that within 20 minutes, 20,000 Union troops died. This was a huge battle. These were all huge battles. In that, during that time frame, it was just expected that if you were, if you were in this theater of the war, you were going to die. They would, this was before driver's licenses and, and, uh, dog tags and all these things. These guys would write their name on a piece of paper and stick it in a pocket in their, in their coat, in their uniform so that they could be identified. Over 50,000 people died that spring during these campaigns. And finally, Grant trapped Robert E. Lee at this little city called Petersburg. Now, if you guys have ever seen the movie, um, gosh, what's it called? Cold Mountain. That's what it is. Cold Mountain. uh, And it's got, uh, well, yeah, I'm terrible with actors' names. I don't know who the hell it is. (laughs) She's really popular. You know, everybody knows her. Uh, She's been in a bunch of movies. Uh, I, I just can't, yeah, I'm totally drawing a blank. I told you guys I'm just doing this on a whim. Anyway. That opening scene in Cold Harbor, or I'm sorry, Cold Mountain, uh, was like these Confederates are, are chasing around this rabbit try it because they didn't have a lot of food. The South was running around with, uh, supplies for, for to feed the troops, which was a, a problem throughout the whole war. So they're chasing around this rabbit in the trenches and trying to catch this rabbit so they can eat it. And all of a sudden, the ground beneath them just explodes, and this giant crater is blown in the ground, and these Union troops come rushing in and realized that the crater was so big they couldn't get up the wall, so the Confederates just shot down on them. It was like a turkey shoot. That really happened, and that's actually a really accurate um, depiction of of Petersburg. Well, it ended up being a siege, and nine months later, Grant finally busted Lee out of his out of, out of Petersburg. Lee retreated and tried to get to supply uh, a, a supply train that was a little further west into Virginia and started making his way out there. And Grant was right on his heels. And at this point, Lee's army had dwindled down into nothing. It was, the, I, I believe it was around 30,000 men, where Grant had somewhere in the neighborhood of 90,000 men. It wasn't even close. And Lee started running, trying to get away and, and reorganize and reform and, and feed his troops. They needed the food. They needed the supplies, munitions, things like that. And ended up getting cut off at this place called Appomattox Courthouse. And finally, it was just obvious that he could not go on he was surrounded he was trapped his troops were starving they were out of ammunition they were out of the will to fight it was just it was over right and so General Lee, they agree agrees to meet with general grant and lee puts on his best cleanest uniform shines up his sword looks fantastic gets off his horse he rode a horse named traveler Get off his, gets off his horse at this uh, Appomattox courthouse and walks in and is there before General Grant. A few minutes later, General Grant shows up with his staff. Grant 
unlike Lee, is again covered in mud. His uniform's in disarray. He's dirty. He hasn't shaved. And walks in, and they start discussing, having small talk. They were both veterans of the Mexican War. And they have this this small talk about how they crossed paths during the Mexican War at one point. And um, finally turn the table to discuss the surrender of the Army of Northern Virginia in the South. And Grant gave Lee essentially everything he asked for. He allowed the Southern troops to keep their personal weapons. He allowed them to keep their horses and any property that they had. They All they had to do was swear an oath and they were free to go. There weren't anybody going to prison. Nobody's going to jail. Nobody's getting hung. None of that kind of stuff. And see, this is what's really unique about the American Civil War. Most civil wars in other countries, they go on for decades. It's never solved. The issue is just never solved. Our Civil War ended at about 5 p.m. on April 9th, 1865 for good. There were still some holdouts for about another month or so of Confederate forces that, that still hadn't surrendered and whatnot. Um, they didn't know, you know, it's not like they had the internet. Nobody got the email that Lee had surrendered. So they, they were, they were still operating in places like Georgia and South Carolina and North Carolina and, and out West in Texas and New Mexico and all those places. That's about as far West as it went. Uh, but, but that's how our civil war ended. They stacked their arms, the South. And when the union, the Northern troops got word that Lee had just surrendered, they started cheering and making all this noise and general Grant hushed them. He told the entire army to shut up. These are essentially our countrymen again, and and we we want unity, and we don't want to shame them. We just want them to surrender and end this bloodbath of a civil war we've been in for the last four years. And that's how it ended. Those troops stacked their arms. They were they were fed by the northern troops, and they went home. We didn't have decades of fighting continue on after that. We were once again a country with scars from the Civil War. The Civil War is this huge time in American history. Guys, I know I'm totally off topic. I, I, I promise this is a hunting podcast. <laughs> but uh, I, I think that it's important that people understand some of this. I think it's super important, in fact. So these idiots go and knock over a, a the, the statue of General, General Grant... Do they understand what that man did? I mean, I'm just giving you guys a very small piece of the General Grant story. The guy was incredible. So was Robert E. Lee, in fact. General Lee was an incredible man. He was an incredible commander. I don't think that in American history there has ever been a military commander so effective and loved by his troops as Robert E. Lee. Granted, he fought for the South, but he he was not. He was not pro-slavery. General Lee did not own slaves. He did previously to the war, but freedom. His wife had the slaves, in fact. It was it was kind of, he acquired the slaves through marriage, and she it was a direct descendant of George Washington. So, it's anyway, I, I can go on and on and on about all this stuff, but the point is, is how stupid do you feel knocking over General Grant's statue, the man that ended the war that ended slavery? I just can't get over that kind of stupidity. And I want this to end, and I want people to come together, and I want people to respect each other again. I, that's, I, I, just, I know that sounds like a lot to ask, but wouldn't it be nice 
if we got back to that? Wouldn't it be nice if we could just all, again, remember the incredible sacrifices that people in our history have done to make our life the way it is now, to be the great society, the great country that we are now? Wouldn't it be great if we could just remember that as a country and not get focused on the on the small, minute things that scar us as a nation, but remember that as, as a nation, we are a place of good, and we are a people of good, and we are the force to be reckoned with in terms of evil throughout the world. When evil erupts, it is America that puts that fire out. All right, so guys, uh, thanks Thanks for listening to me. Uh, just go on and on today. Uh, that that I, I didn't expect to go this long. I I, I thought I'd be on the uh, behind the microphone phone here for about ten minutes, and and here we are about forty minutes into it. So um, I'm gonna wrap this up. We uh, uh, again, I've got it's just a short episode this week because of the Fourth of July. Um, I I don't know. It, it, some of you may not know, but my wife is uh, it, it's her birthday also on the Fourth of July. So this is a big week. Uh, she's a she's super patriotic, obviously, because of this. And uh, so, yeah, I'm not going to tell you how old little Miss Nicole is, but it is her birthday on the 4th of July, and we are off to go celebrate it. And so this is just a quick episode. I've got some great guests lined up, guys. We're continuing on with the School of September series coming in July. Uh, we've got I've got great guests lined up for the, the rest of the month, and it's going to be busy, busy, busy. we got hunting season only two months out. And I'm looking forward to it. At two months out for September archery elk hunters, I, I, I should say. You rifle hunters, you got a little bit longer, and I'm sorry about that, but that's just how it is. And so uh, I'm really fired up about it. Guys, thanks a bunch for tuning in. That was kind of fun for me to do a little episode kind of totally off off the hunting topic, but I'm, I promise we're getting back to hunting now. So uh, this is not like a political show or anything else, but it is an American show, and there's certain things that Americans should know about our history so you don't fall victim to some of these stupid looters and riders that are going out there and wrecking the wrong shit for a cause that they don't even know anything about. So... Uh, I hope, uh, I, I don't think anybody in this audience, uh, audience is one of those people anyway, so I'm not real worried about it. But uh, God bless you guys. God bless America. Uh, thank you again for tuning in, and we will see you guys next week. Take care. Have a great 4th of July. Thank you so much for tuning in to this episode of the Western Huntsman Podcast. Glad you joined us. If you liked that episode, please tell a friend and let me know what you thought at jimandthewesternhuntsman.com. And don't forget to check out our show sponsors. The links are in the show notes. Stay Western, and I'll see you on the mountain.